Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is episode number 48. I'm your host, Brooke McCallery, and uh, this is my husband, Ben. G'day. How are you going? I'm well. How are you? Good. 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 Enjoying a, uh, a lovely sunny day here in Sydney, Australia. And you're working from home because... That's what we do now. That's right. Recording this on a Friday afternoon at one o'clock. We are. It's get take, well, taking a bit of getting used to. Yeah, it is. It is. And uh, after having a plate full of cheese for lunch, <laughs> keeping in, in mind our sugar-free diet at the moment. Certainly not dairy-free or fat-free. Nope. Um, getting the fat into us. Mm-hmm. Yes, we really are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but today is not a sugar episode, or not an experiment episode. It's uh, a, an episode I recorded a couple of weeks ago, actually, with a woman named Ellen Ronalds Keane, who is a listener of the show. A while back, I mentioned that one of the biggest bits of feedback I get is we don't tend to talk to too many um, quote unquote real people or people who don't uh, work online. You know, most of my guests have either written a book or sell programs online to help people simplify and slow down or, you know, they work very much in that industry and they've typically already worked through a lot of the process of slowing down and simplifying. Freaks. (laughs) Sure, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But... You know, so as a result, we don't get too many people who are really either at the beginning of their their process of slowing down or who are kind of still in the thick of it. And when I mentioned that, I got an email not long after from Ellen who said, I pu- I'll put my hand up, I'll volunteer to be on the podcast and, you know, talk through my current situation and, and what I'm doing to slow down and what I'm doing to simplify and why I decided to make the change and uh, Ellen's a, a high school teacher. She's had some, you know, significant health issues over the last few years. So she has very different challenges to to like me, for example, or someone else who I would have interviewed on the show who's already worked through a lot of this stuff. And it was really, really, really just fascinating and uh, helpful to me to talk to her as well. Ellen's a really real, really real relatable person she is she's really real and relatable yeah so i think that that is a really nice mix Mm. and for someone who's who's working through this stuff she's super insightful like she's really obviously spent a lot of time thinking about the changes that she wants to make and her and her husband want to make and why and how and you know the impact she's hoping that it will have so to be able to to talk to her about it and and you know really go deep on some of her thoughts was was surprising to be honest but um you know after having spoken to ellen for a while it shouldn't be she's she's got a lot to offer and for those of you looking to find out more information about this episode you could go to slowyourhome.com forward slash 48 48 Feeling for great. the show notes to this podcast listed there will also be a link to um ellen's blog she does have a blog it's not she doesn't earn money or anything from that. It's just somewhere that she shares her ideas on self-care and slowing down. It's theharmonyagenda.com. Uh, so I would highly recommend that you go and check that out. She's got some great posts where she talks about her process and her journey and the things that she's discovering. Um, but Ellen also is slowly making the shift towards being 
uh, she is a high school teacher and you'll hear more about that in her um, in the interview in a minute but she also wants to shift her energies into becoming a person who supports teachers because one of the things she's discovered is teachers burn out in a massive way and she you know she sees wonderful educators leaving the profession because they burn out so she's actually trying to become a support person for those for those teachers uh, as well as you know remaining a teacher so she has a facebook group on um, on facebook obviously that is for teachers who are looking for that kind of support you just need to search for it um it's teacher support page something like that but i will include a link to that in the show notes as well what a great resource that's fantastic yeah that's really really important and, and excellent that she's doing that she's also suggested some audible books she has, which is really nice, actually. I'm going to start doing this with more of our guests yeah. because um, it's kind of handy to have other people's uh, recommendations, I think, yeah. for audiobooks. She actually said that this, is, this was how she got into the idea of slowing down and simplifying by listening to these particular audiobooks. Right. So the two that she's recommended are um, The Simple Dollar by Trent Ham. And Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, which is a book that reminds me so much of my dad. Um, he talks about it all the time. Uh, we used to talk about it all the time. Your, your dad doesn't look anything like a book. <laughs> dad jokes. And if you wanted to grab a copy, a free copy even, of one of those books or another audio book, you can head to audibletrial.com forward slash slow And grab yourself a freebie and a 30-day free trial of Audible as well. So thanks, Audible, for sponsoring the show. And thanks for listening to this podcast. Enjoy. Thank you so much for talking to me. My pleasure. I'm excited to be on the podcast. On the podcast? <laughs> no, it was. Um, oh, I loved getting your email. I know it was late last year, I think. But uh, Ben and I had been talking about how one of the biggest requests that we we get from people is to talk to uh, guests who don't work online or haven't written books and things like that. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of people kind of say, "quote unquote," real people or normal people. Yeah, <laughs> which is a really valid request because. I think when I talk to people who do work online or who do, you know, teach, um, like teach programs and write books and things like mm. that, their life just looks different to people who are working in an office or working, you know, in a professional environment. And absolutely, the challenges are different. You know, mm. they're, they're some are harder, some are easier, and vice versa. But it's just different. So I really appreciate the fact that you reached out to me and said, "I'll be a volunteer. I'll talk to you." <laughs> so thank you. My pleasure. <laughs> so. Uh, you're a teacher. You're a high school teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and up until a couple of years ago, you were working full time. But um, you, you kind of made a shift a couple of years ago to, to working part time. Can you sort of talk me through that that decision? decision? Was there a moment of realization where you said, I need to make this change right now? Or did you kind of recognize, um, you know, a need or, or a desire to simplify it? I mean, where did the where did it come from initially? Um, really good question. It, I wouldn't say it was one moment of realisation. I think it was a, a long time coming. Um, so I was in my third year of teaching at the time 
Um, and a, a little bit of history, I was quite unwell when I was at university. I had um, chronic fatigue syndrome and um, eventually was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And so there was some times at uni where we, I, I didn't think I'd finish my degree. Um, I, wasn't, I wasn't able to do full-time study. Um, I had to sort of cut back, cut right back my hours at my part-time job as well. So there was certainly a time at university where I thought I would never be able to teach um, because I knew how much of a demanding profession it was. So um, thankfully, I, I recovered and, and I was well enough to teach um, when I'd finished uni and, and slogged it out for the first two and a half years. And in my third year, um, I think it was a moment of desperation rather than a moment of realisation. Uh, and I, my health had declined a little bit um, just because um, I don't have a thyroid anymore, so I have to take thyroid uh, medication and the levels were a little bit out and I just really wasn't feeling very well. And I was just burning out with, um, with my job at school and it basically there was a, a moment of having to decide either I, I give this up completely because it, I can't manage, um, which I really didn't want to do because I love teaching. I love being in the classroom. Um, I work with teenagers and although that scares some people, I think they're fantastic little humans um, and I really enjoy their company. So I didn't want to leave this job that I'd spent um, so long preparing for, but there didn't seem to be any other option other than leave or go part-time. And um, thankfully, my school was um, very supportive um, to help make that happen because it's not something that is always available. Um, Mm. I think it's easier for high school teachers than it is for primary school teachers because we obviously don't have um, the same um, class restrictions where you have the same class all day, five days a week. So it's a little bit easier for high school teachers because I was still there five days. Um, I just wasn't always working full days. Um, So it wasn't so much one moment as a a fairly gradual build over about a term where I just was feeling worse and worse and, and I just knew something had to give and I didn't want it to be my health again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, having gone through the health challenges that you did when you were at uni, uh, to, I mean, to be able to stop and recognise that you were heading down that same path of stress and, you know, your, your health declining and then actually doing something about it, good on you because so many of us mm. just push through. You know, we, we, mm. we tap into these ideas of what we should do or what people expect of us or fear of, you know, um, of saying no or stepping back or fear of being judged. And we, we ignore the warning signs and then mm. we collapse in a heap. Absolutely. Well, that's what happened to me at uni. I mean, the thyroid cancer was probably a separate issue and it came later, but the, the chronic fatigue was basically because I got glandular fever and my doctor said, you need to take some time off. You need to slow down. And I said, no. And I went and got a second job and then <laughs> kept doing uni and started a fundraising quest in my local community. So I kind of did it to myself. You doubled down. You're like, I, I, I need did. to slow down. Let me pick up three more things. That's exactly what happened. So I, that's basically, I, yeah, I felt that I should do all these things. And I think I'd already actually committed to a couple of those. And I just didn't want to have to say, you know, say no. Um, I didn't want to let anybody down. And I just kept pushing. And my body gave up for a couple of years it's amazing the more people I speak to uh you know as part of the podcast and just part of writing and and talking about slow living so many people come to this crisis point for Mm. the you know maybe different circumstances and different um result like a different physical result or Mm. you know they might have an emotional um you know emotional issues or mental health issues but so many of us come to this screeching halt Mm. because we just push and push that was 
me as well, mm. you know, a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, and it, it all kind of came to a head with the postnatal depression and everything sort of unpacked from there. Yeah. Uh, so you decided to make this change and your school was like relatively supportive of it. Did you come across any other kind of, op- 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 not necessarily opposition, but, uh, you know, questions or judgments or, um, you know, even kind of raised eyebrows when you were explaining to people what you were doing? Yeah, um, I did. It's, it's so funny because since I, I know I wrote op- opposition in the email um, that I had sent to you, um, but I've been reflecting on that the last couple of weeks in particular and um, there definitely were raised eyebrows. There was definitely some people that just didn't get it. Mm. They they just couldn't understand why. Why would you do that? Why not just quit and do something else? Um, they, there, was, there was a bit of that. Um, and there were some people that um, were just unaware. They, they um, you know, particularly in sort of not, not in my close circle but in sort of wider circles who perhaps didn't really understand that the thinking behind it had only just heard on the grapevine and didn't, um, didn't really know what was going on. So there was a little bit of that. Um, and there, but there were some people that were genuinely concerned um, for whether or not we, I could afford that because um, obviously I sacrificed some income to, to make that choice. So, you know, was it financially viable? And also at the time I was um, still on temporary contracts with, um, with my job. So there were people that were really concerned that if I made this choice that I would put at risk my um, possibility of getting a permanent job, which thankfully it didn't um, – I ended up getting a permanent job, but there were there were some genuine concerns, and and when people were questioning me, I felt like it was opposition. Um, right. But I actually have just been reflecting the last couple of weeks. Was it opposition, or was it that I didn't get the express permission that I wanted? <laughs> That's a good question. Actually, yeah, like it, it actually there was a little bit, and there were some people that I think were jealous that would, would make some flippant comments like, oh, you're so lucky to have the afternoon mm-hmm. off, I'm thinking. Don't I'm you just- love that? <laughs> lucky. You're so lucky. <laughs> yeah. didn't happen accidentally. Exactly. Um, but I actually think I had to give myself permission that this is what I need. This is what I know is good for me. And, yes, there's some, um, at the time, will, I, will it impact my permanent prospects? Obviously, I'm going to take a bit of an income hit here, but, this is what is right for me. And so I had to give myself permission. So the opposition that I think I was feeling, especially from people that were close to me, it was actually probably just more questioning mm. and, and a lack of, yes, you are allowed to do this, Ellen, mm. um, which subconsciously is probably what I was looking for so that I didn't have to have the responsibility of making that final decision. That's such a like a wise distinction to make between judgment you know because i think Mm -hmm. so often when when we make these big life changes and people question us about it it could be because they're curious it could be because they're jealous it could be Mm. because um they feel judged by our actions when in fact it has nothing to do with with (laughs) them you know Mm. for example you know you start to minimize your life and suddenly people are asking do you have enough things what about this what about that we can see that as judgment but uh, I think the truth, rather, is that people are questioning because they're curious or because they feel our actions are in some way reflecting upon them, which they're mm. not. Mm. So that's something I think that, that we so many of us going through this process also have to work through. Yeah. But the well, idea it only of- took three years to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm five years in and I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> um, I love the idea, though, of permission. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever really articulated it that way, but we do. You know, when we make these big choices, 
the the child in us still wants someone to come in and say, this is a wonderful idea. You should do it. I give you permission. I will take responsibility for it. Yep. This is, you know, this is on me, not you kind of thing. Mm. And to be able to still do it in the face of that is fantastic. Thank you. Um, so going back to something that you did mention, which was the the cut in income that you made, mm. Um, mm. did you have any specific ways of kind of plugging that gap or simplifying your expenses or your, you know, the way you were living that helped for that to not be such a big issue? Um, well, the the main the main one was that I was living in a teacher um, subsidized accommodation at the time, mm-hmm. so obviously that already gave me a little bit of leeway there. Um, but I also I, I had been making some fairly um, aggressive moves to pay down debt at the time. I you know I had a, a car loan which I paid off in about thirteen months, and um, I, I had been saving, so I, I didn't have um, a lot of expenses anyway because I had been actively trying to reduce those. Um, that's obviously since changed and now we have a mortgage, but, you know, um, it, I guess there wasn't a conscious move to try and get extra income, but I had already been simplifying my expenses at the time. So, um, and plus the other thing about it was that, you know, I already have to spend a fair amount on my healthcare every year. So even though it was a reduction in income, I was also reducing the, the amount of money I had to pay out to stay well, to continue doing my job, to earn the money, to pay for the healthcare, like you know what I mean. So yes. there, there was that was just a slow on effect that because slowing down or cutting back my um, my hours at work meant that I was able to stay well. Mm. Um, I didn't have as much sickness to worry about to have to pay for. That's such a good point. I mean, I think we 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 often just see the the bad side of it. You know, of mm. slowing down in in this instance means that you were earning less, but the act of slowing down actually gave you so much more. Yeah. You know, it gave, yeah. you, gave you some measure of your health back. It gave you some yeah. of your time back, which in turn, you know, has this flow on effect that's so much more positive. Mm. Yeah. yeah it's, it's interesting um, listening to you kind of talk about the things that were already in place when you made this decision. Mm. So often we view this, you know, if we see someone making a choice like going part-time at work mm. and we just view that decision kind of in a vacuum, you know, we just see, well, this, well, Ellen's just decided to go part-time. How about that? But the reality is you've been putting all of these intentional actions and intentional, um, you know, choices in place, like paying your debt down mm. um, and like being aware of your health and choosing to put your health before, you know, maintaining full-time work, that kind of stuff. Mm. And it's when you make the decision within those those other kind of wider choices that it's just, it's the right choice. You know, I think yeah. sometimes we want to, uh, we want like a magic button that kind of fixes everything you just make one choice and everything is fixed but it's yep. such a a broad range of of kind of areas in our lives that it impacts yeah I think. it's multifaceted for absolutely. sure absolutely yeah i really i really like hearing about the things that were kind of happening at the same time mm. um so in some ways you've been on this path uh for three years i guess mm. uh, and you really started it from uh, the inside out, I guess you, you simplified your work schedule to a point where you could work part-time, but you were also really focusing on self-care and just, you know, looking after your health, which is mm. vital. And, um, and people often ask me where to start simplifying, you know, do, what, what action do I start with? Do I start with mindfulness? Do I start with health? Do I start with food? Do I start mm. with decluttering? And Simply put, there isn't a right or a wrong place to start. I mean, I started with decluttering because that's what I could control at that time. Mm. 
Because you're starting with what you needed to to work with, first of all. Absolutely. And now that you're three years in, are you finding that you're working through other areas of your life to simplify? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, And I think on that point, where you start probably depends on actually what's causing you the most pain. Um, because especially in the last year, um, you know, got married and we, we bought a house. So, um, we moved into that and it's much smaller than the one we were in before. So, um, that obviously means that we we had too much stuff to fit into the actual house in the first place without even then, now that we've managed that, we still have too much stuff in, in my opinion. But, but I, I was vaguely aware, um, of that. And I'd, I'd moved house a number of times in, in, um, two or three years that I'd been teaching up until the point when, um, when I dropped back my um, hours. So I was vaguely aware that, that clutter was a problem and um, I think anyone that knows any teachers probably knows that we like to make sure that we, if we've got some kind of teaching resource, we're not going to use that this year, but it might come in handy next year. So I'll hold on to that <laughs> because um, there's a lot of reinventing the wheel that doesn't need to happen that can make just teaching easier. So they can, you know, even at work, my desk, for example, is fairly cluttered. Um, and I was vaguely aware of those things, but they weren't causing me the most pain. So I, I, I didn't need to worry about that. I didn't even have the mental um, bandwidth to worry about that until my health and my, my self-care and my schedule had, had opened up a bit more. Um, but at the moment, definitely the, the possessions um, is what I'm really working on. Um, and, and that's physical and digital because I have a lot of a lot of emails in my inbox, you know. So it's definitely, definitely, on, I'm on that decluttering um, journey f- fairly seriously um, over the last six months, and and that will continue probably for most of this year, I think. Yeah, it's definitely an ongoing process. I mean, mm. I found that I probably passed through each of each room of our house a number of times, maybe four mm. or five times, before we got to a relative point of ease, and you know clutter freeness yeah do you have a process that you use when you declutter um not consciously I don't think I I I definitely have been on the um oh I'm going to do everything this weekend uh roundabout and I've heard you talk about that as well on the podcast and it's just then you just get overwhelmed because there's a lot of decisions to make and um that can't all happen in a weekend so I've kind of through careful observation and, and listening to um, you and, and other people talk about it I've realized that I think small steps is the best way um, but we did do a couple of big sort of pushes last year we had a garage sale and we sold a, f- a few things online um, and and th- I didn't really enjoy those processes actually because I found it um, I, I find it a more rewarding process to just give things away because mm. uh, even the, even the you know the things of real value that that we thought oh yeah well we could make a few dollars from this people just haggle and and um they're, they're not always um, nice interactions, I felt. Um, it's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. So I feel actually much better about just giving things away and, and you know, to to the Red Cross or Lifeline so that actually somebody who is really in need gets to use it. And, and that's, that's a much um, more expansive interaction for me. It feels much nicer. Um, plus it actually declutters the process because then there's only one action, which is for me to take the stuff. To that's, the drop-off point. That's exactly it. Yeah, I mean, a garage sale or selling online mm. is—it's work, you it know. Is. And we admittedly have sold a handful of things online. I mean, big-ticket things like a camera mm. and stuff like that yeah. that we yeah. knew we would get some money back for, you know, hundred dollars, two hundred dollars. 
like wonderful. You know, that was fine. It was relatively easy because people aren't looking for necessarily a bargain basement, you know, $5 mm. price on something like that. Mm. But we did two garage sales early mm. on and it was the same as your experience. It was just all of it was negative. It yep. was just, um, you know, absolutely not worth the $120 or whatever it was that we made. Yeah. And it drew the process of decluttering out for months. Right. We had a garage full of things that were like, well, we'll we'll sell that at the garage sale. We'll sell it at the garage sale. And eventually it did go because after the garage sale finished, I said, well, none of that's coming back into the house. So we went and dropped it off (laughs) at the charity shop anyway. But honestly, my recommendation for people is to just let it go. Yeah. You know, you've already said goodbye, I guess, in your mind. You've made the decision to let the, the physical item go, just put it out into the world to someone who needs it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and kind of like you say, declutter the process or simplify yes. the process. And get out of limbo because I certainly found with especially selling things online, people would come back and say, oh, can you hold it for me until next Thursday? Yes. And then next Thursday comes around and they say, actually, I, I, you know, I don't get paid till tomorrow or actually I don't want it anymore. Like it just goes on and on and on. And you sort of in that time you're just stuck in limbo going, well, I have to hold on to it because this person thinks they're going to take it, but then they don't and – yeah, just get declutter the process, let it go. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, what are you finding the most challenging part of the decluttering process? What are you finding difficult? Uh, probably the 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 length of time it's taken. Mm. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I had made attempts, you know, over the years, especially you know when you're coming up to moving house, or then after you've moved house, I think, yeah, right, I've got all this stuff. It's still in boxes from the previous move. I'll get rid of that. And so there is stuff that. Um, that I had tried to declutter, you know, even, bef- you know, even before three years ago, but um, and that I still have now that I'm still working on decluttering. And I think um, th- that kind of sense of frustration and of I should have finished this by now, um, that's probably been the, the mindset part of it. It's probably been the most challenging for me um, and just have to remind myself that it's a long process and it takes time and that I, I, I don't want to overwhelm myself and then, um, you know, put it back away in that cupboard and not look at it again for another year. I actually want to do this properly this time. So reminding myself to slow down in the process of slowing down. <laughs> yeah, but that's a really good point. There's so many people I speak to who dive in headfirst to slow living, you know, simplifying mm. and mm. creating a slower home find themselves in the same situation because they see all of these things, all these facets of slowing down and they like, I want to do that and I want to do that and I want this and I want this mm. result and I want it all yesterday, Yes, <laughs> uh, which is human nature. You know, we make yeah. the decision that we're working towards a different way of living and we want it to happen, you know, yesterday. So mm. it's, it's a really um, important part of the process, I think, to work through that. And as stressful as it can be sometimes, try and focus on one yeah, kind of improvement at a time. Well, and I think it's also a symptom sometimes of that overwhelm or the, the burnout that that um, people are already feeling. Mm. Um, that, like you said, we want that magic button. I just want it all done now, so then I don't have to feel any of these feelings anymore, and it will all be finished. But actually, the process of decluttering or the process of um, you know changing your work schedule or um, improving your health, it almost it almost is a lengthy emotional process by design because it's only when you go through all of those emotions and and sort out actually what do I want and make all those decisions that you then don't backslide after it's done Um, because I think if someone else came in and and just got rid of all the stuff that I you know telepathically they just knew what I didn't want anymore and just got rid of it all I wouldn't have learned anything and I wouldn't have processed the emotions that got me to that point in the first place that's Um, completely um, you know in line with my philosophy as well people have always asked me can you come and declutter my house for mm. me like first of all no because no thanks 
<laughs> it was a mission to do my own. Yeah. There are people who, who are happy to come and help you do that. Here's their number. Yeah. Um, but I think it's very valuable. Sometimes you do need a hand to hold, but yeah. Yeah, but I, I, I really agree. If someone came in and did it for you without much input at all from mm. you, you don't learn the – you don't learn to process the emotions and to let go and to, like you say, feel the feelings of mm. going through the process. You know, mm. that's, that is just as important, I think. Yeah. And also learning to be okay with things just being okay. You know, things don't need to be perfect and finished right. and, and amazing all the time. It's okay to be in the middle of the process. That's that, right. You know, the process is messy. The process is human. Mm. The process is emotional. Yeah. That's good. You know, that means that's you're right. in the process. And I find I actually now – probably not initially, but now I find that empowering because also I know that this is part of the journey and that it is in, in my control. Um, and therefore, if I ever found myself back in this situation again, I would also be able to pull myself out of the hole again. Yes. Um, but then I'm also less likely to get back to this point of where I'm feeling now, overwhelmed or um, frustrated or wanting to change everything at once. I wouldn't get back to that anyway because I've actually – um, I've actually, I'm actually able to and I'm empowered to prevent that in the first place. Exactly. You've got this new set of skills. Um, mm. Yeah. So are you finding that your, you know, the process of simplifying your home, is that having an impact on your, your health and your, your mental health and your mindset as well? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and obviously I've done a lot of mindset work already and, um, you know, have, have had – a fairly long journey in that regard. I, back when I was at uni, when I was really crook, I also had um, depression because I was I just felt crap all the time and I was really miserable. And you know, and so I've had um, counselling for that back then. And and I still um, I'm training to be a life coach, so I still have. Um, I'm actually qualified. Not what am I saying? Training. I'm upgrading my training, but I'm already qualified. Um, but I've had a lot of coaching through that process as well. So I, I've worked a lot on my mindset already. But I'm definitely finding that this decluttering process and the the clearing it out, it's just exactly as Gretchen Rubin says. I loved your interview with her, by the way. Oh, um, exactly as she says that um, outer order contributes to inner calm. Um, but I've also found it worked the other way because I had already kind of created some of that inner calm. I'd already worked through um, some of my health journey and really prioritising self-care and figuring out um, my work stuff. And then because I was in a more calm and um, positive mental state, the decluttering was easier as well. That's really, um, I mean, I guess that goes back to what we were saying before, that the process can start at either end or anywhere in the middle and it'd be mm. the perfect place to begin. Um, yeah. Sabelle Masterman, one of my friends who's been on the show a couple of times, she um, she she experienced her, you know, shift into slow living from the exact opposite end to me. So I started with mm. stuff. She started with uh, mindfulness she said the same thing because you know she came from she comes from a, a family of you know emotional keepers she had a lot of stuff to deal with yep. um, in her home and a lot of it was sentimental so it was really difficult to look at and mm. think how do I I can't even deal I can't deal with this this is not a thing that I can can deal with right now but she started with mindfulness and meditation and living in a way that is in keeping with her you know her priorities and her goals and as her, her you know her inner self, became slower and more intentional, she found it much easier over time to work through this stuff that she wouldn't have had the like the mental capacity or desire to deal with. Yeah. So it's it's and it sounds like you've discovered the same thing. Yeah. You know, the the 
external our external environments can absolutely help us to feel more calm but the other way applies just as much that's right and and i think for anyone who's listening that is um you know feeling like they really want to declutter but it's just so hard and they're really stuck um that it's okay you know you you just said that that Sibel would sometimes go I can't can't even look at that right now I can't even deal with it it's okay to say that don't don't then make yourself feel guilty because you've identified a thing that you know you have to deal with but you can't right now that's okay absolutely you can put that away it doesn't mean that it's going to stay there forever you can put it aside right now and deal with whatever else is coming up for you um and you can put it aside for months or even you know a year or two if you need to Mm -hmm. that's okay just Start where you are and allow yourself, allow that to be okay because there is no right way. There isn't. And the other thing that I've really discovered is giving yourself that time for things that are too difficult. It's, mm. it's a gift. You know, you let go of the guilt of it. You say, mm. right, well, let's make this really easy. I can't deal with this box of mementos from my grandmother or whatever it is that you're struggling mm. to deal with. Fine, pop it away somewhere that you're not going to trip over, somewhere that's not going to, you know, to, to bother you every time yes. you walk past it. But mm. then think, well, what can I do? to move forward, even just a tiny little bit today. Mm. And you go and you find a shelf or you find a drawer or you find a basket or a random pile of stuff and you think you make it so easy for yourself to succeed. That's right. And you just get that one thing done. That's right. And then right. the next day you find another small thing and you get that done. And what I found was by putting off some of the things that I just couldn't, I couldn't process yet, by the time I got to them, maybe the second or third time I opened that box, they had transitioned from really important things that I can't, even think about what to you know how to deal with it mm. to clutter yeah and it became so much easier to let go of them or to honor them and display them in my house or give yeah. them to someone you know who would appreciate them but I could deal with them after that time yeah, yeah that's really good advice absolutely and because you've built the muscle as well yeah. because it, you've built that muscle of able, being able to say you know is this really important do I want to display it do I do I use this does it bring me joy if not well what am I going to do with it instead where is it going to go um you know as in outside of the home, who's yeah. going to receive it. Um, so it, that's a muscle as well. Um, and you have to kind of work up to that. It's like exercise and yeah. weights. Yeah, it's totally a process. So um, I'm just mindful of your time, but I just wanted to ask you one more question, if that's mm. okay. Uh, something in that you, you said to me in our emails of the last, last uh, few weeks, you said, it's not, I realise that it's not selfish to look after me, mm. which I really love. Mm. Um and I love it as someone who is only just recognizing the truth of it. Mm. It's something that I have struggled with constantly and significantly, um, particularly since I've you know be- become an adult, but mm. probably also even as a teenager um, to a certain extent. That it's not only is it okay, but it's actually really important to look after ourselves. So, did you recognize the importance of that when you were ill at uni? Because that was quite a young age to realize yeah. something like that. I, I first heard about self-care when I was still at uni. I was actually sitting in a psychologist's office and, you know, trying to piece together what was going on for me And because I, I, I remember very clearly that that was the first time I'd ever heard the word. Uh, possibly other people had said it, but I'd never heard it mm. before. And it was like, oh, what a foreign concept, self-care. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> um, so I, I, I very much it first came onto my radar then, but I don't think – I really got it until probably about three years ago. It's probably in the process of um, working out my my work commitments and, and how much was enough for me there and um, and accepting also that 
that maybe what's enough for me is less than other people um, and, and that I actually am not capable physically of keeping up in the same way, um, but that I also don't want to. And, and, you know, that idea that it's not selfish, I'm actually allowed to want what I want. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, it, you know, that, that idea of um, selfishness, it, I think it's very pervasive in our society but quite unspoken, um, which actually makes it even harder to, to realise and then to overcome um, and because, because we're, not, we're so unconscious of the fact that that's actually our underlying belief, that if I do this for me, then I'm a selfish, horrible person and, you know, I'm letting everybody else down. And, and it, it, I, I do wonder actually, to go back to Gretchen Rubin again, um, I'm an obliger as well, I, you know, and I think that's part of it, I think being an obliger, we possibly feel this mm. even more than um, than the other, you know, tendencies, the rebels or the um, upholders, for example. Um, so I, I think it's something that a lot of us struggle with, and I think that there's an there's a lot of um, emotional levels to that as well. Um, obviously, you're probably picking up for me. This most of this journey has been very emotional, um, and 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 processing my emotions and, and letting go of things like perfectionism and people pleasing and, you know, obligation, um, and guilt, all of those things are are barriers to our ability to look after ourselves. Um, and when we process them, guilt, for example, so there's, you know, there's healthy guilt when we know that we've hurt somebody or we've done something wrong and we, we feel guilty about that because we knew it was the wrong thing to do. But then there's like unhealthy guilt that is actually either the type that someone else is putting on us because they've got their own agenda and they want us to do something for them or when we um, just have this idea from society somewhere in the way it's shaped us as we grew up that if I do this, that makes me selfish. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to do it anyway but, but I'll, I'll, I'll punish myself by feeling guilty and, and um, therefore I'm not selfish because I kind of uh, I'm, I'm um, earning the right to do this by this feeling of guilt. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it absolutely does. And I think that that idea of should or shouldn't, you know, is mm. something that can be really damaging yep. um, because we – and wrapped up in that one word are all those obstacles like people-pleasing and fear mm. and obligation and guilt. Mm. And we use it to rationalise our behaviours, you know, yeah. um, or kind of to to stamp down our desire for self-care, you know. And I think – Interestingly, what people kind of tend to hear, or at least what I used to hear when people would talk about self-care, was um, this all-pervasive entitlement attitude Mm -hmm. of me time and putting myself first, which is totally missing the point. It's absolutely Mm. nothing like that, which is something that I've um, discovered over the last few years. It's just a matter of, I don't much like the the phrase, but, you know, filling our cup so that we can, you know, so that we can actually operate in a way that is efficient and compassionate and, you know, thoughtful. And absolutely, <laughs> when I, when I take those steps to look after myself, I'm a better human. Absolutely. You know, I'm a nicer wife and a nicer mom and yep. I have more fun and I laugh more and, yep. you know, it's, and to recognize that was really helpful for yeah. me. Yeah. And it, it comes and it's, it's, um, it's probably something people have heard before um, that, airplane safety message you have to put on your own oxygen mask before you can help other people because you know if there's some kind of horrible plane disaster and you're helping all the people around you then you're going to pass out if you haven't got that oxygen mask on you as well um and it's that same thing in in life but and i think um 
the other thing that I've started to really explore in the last year in particular um, is the next level from that as well. Obviously, most people have people in their life that they care about and want to look after, especially parents, um, you know, as in when you're a mum or, or a dad and you've got little ones that, you, that you're looking after, there, there's very much that element of I can't look after them if I'm not well, so I'll look after me, but it's for them, which is absolutely true and valid. But there's another level, which is that you're also human on your own, you know, separate to all those other people in your life that you want to or need to look after and you're actually just allowed to look after you because <laughs> because you can. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because you're a human and you're allowed to. Yeah. Um, and because, you know, I think probably for most of the people listening, we, we live in uh, a free country where we have the opportunity to do so. You know, obviously it's not always the case in, in our world. And um, for a lot of women, if we'd been born at a different time, wouldn't have been the same um, conversation. But um, we, we are allowed to because we're just human mm-hmm. and we can. And, and the flow-on effect is great for everyone around us as well. But we're allowed to just put ourselves first just because yeah, absolutely. Um, what a perfect place to wrap it up. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to me and volunteering to be on the, on the show. You're so welcome. It was, um, it was wonderful. Such a great conversation. Thank you. And um, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Ellen. Yeah. been another episode of the slow home podcast if you enjoyed it be sure to subscribe via itunes and leave us a rating or a review thanks for listening jackrabbit fm for your ears who is that hi podcast